from the Kramer Basketball Headquarters in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. You are listening to the Coach's Edge Podcast, powered by Coach. Here is your host, Steve Kramer. I'd like to give a warm Coach's Edge welcome to Tanner Massey, to the Coach's Edge. Tanner, thanks for taking the time to be on the show. Uh, thank you. I'm excited to be here and and uh, get this going. Heck yeah, we uh, we have a mutual friend who uh, we highly respect and Coach Mez down here in South Carolina. Great guy. And uh, and after emailing back and forth with you, you have a ton of very unique coaching experiences. And anytime I get to be around someone else who's not only coached in the U.S. but also been on the international side of things, there's very few of us really who, who have, although that number is growing. So I love to touch base with those kind of people and hear a little bit about your experiences, especially as we dig into offensive spacing. But before that, with our listeners and, and they want to learn a little bit more about you, why don't you take a couple minutes to introduce yourself? Yeah, great. Uh, well, again, thank you for having me and uh, excited to contribute just a little bit. Uh, I'm from uh, South Carolina, right near the beach, born and raised. I uh, grew up on the campus at Coastal Carolina University. That's where my dad uh, worked for about 35 years. And he'd pick me up from school and then I, um, he would take me to the gym, just drop me off. And I, I was in there for two hours a day and uh, just shooting, hanging around the college team there and the college students and playing. So that's kind of where my love of the game grew and that's where it started. But, um, you know, I, uh, I played just through high school. I didn't play in college. I, um, you know, I, I maxed out, I think, in, uh, in how I worked and, um, you know, kind of put myself in position to really get the most out of it as I could. And then I, I was a student manager for four years from 2006 to 2010 uh, with the men's team at Coastal and loved every bit of it. I mean, I was in the gym. I, you know, wanted to help with recruiting. I wanted to uh, contribute with uh, player development practices, all that. I loved it. And, um, you know, I had an opportunity to play small college ball going into my junior year. Um, it was like a partial scholarship, but I wanted to, uh, I wanted to coach. That's when I knew whenever I turned that opportunity down, I knew I wanted to coach. So just kept pursuing that. Uh, from there, I wrote a bunch of letters and reached out to a bunch of coaches uh, for graduate assistant spots, and and I got one at South Alabama, and um, I was there for two years. In between those two years, I was a video coordinator at South Carolina. They had a video coordinator spot open, and uh, I knew a couple of people on that staff, and so I went there. Uh, but uh, things didn't don't always work out how you expect. And, um, you know, we were let go after that season. However, uh, South Alabama brought me back. And I think that's one thing, I, you know, I can touch on briefly is, you know, building relationships and making sure you leave your the job better uh, than when it got when you got there initially, you know, leaving a place better than how you found it. And, and I think I did that. I came back to South Alabama, finished up my master's degree. And, and it was honestly the best year of my life. Um, you know, with everything, basketball, uh, off the court, school, uh, it was it was great. And, um, you know, from there, I started to pursue some uh, some professional basketball uh, stuff. Uh, didn't quite turn out how I wanted, but that's OK. I ended up being an NAI assistant at Union College. And I think it was 
2013, 2014, and um, was there for one year. Uh, we won a lot. Um, so I learned, I learned a lot, but, uh, from there I knew I, I wanted to move on and I was really pursuing some G league stuff and, uh, or some NBA stuff. And fortunately for me, um, a guy got hired by the name of Bill Peterson, who is an assistant coach with the Baylor bears. Now he, uh, he was hired as the Orlando magic, uh, G league head coach. Three of his best friends are three of my coaching friends in uh in college basketball and he reached out to them say hey I need to hire a young guy who's going to come in and bring energy and all this and all three of them said my name and um so that was a blessing and you know I you know, definitely give the Lord uh, all the credit for that and uh so I was with the Erie Bayhawks uh under under coach Bill Peterson for three years that was my foundation he's old school you know lunch pail mentality toughness fight grit and um, so I learned a lot from there. From, from there, after those three years, I, uh, I went to Japan. I was there for four months. I was an assistant in uh, the second division there under a good friend of mine. And uh, I was only there for four months. Uh, I had a head coaching opportunity there, but I, I turned it down. And I came back to the G League. And that's, um, you know, a lot of people would say, that's a head coaching opportunity. It's nothing you regret. And I'm like, no, I don't. You know, you have to, you have to, uh, believe in the people that you're working with and working for. And I believed in that with uh, the Northern Arizona Suns whenever I came back to the G League. Uh, those guys, they treated me well. I learned a ton of basketball under Cody Topper, who's now with Memphis, and uh, uh, good friends, Nick Freeman, Tyler Gatlin, those guys. Um, and then I went to uh, the Washington Wizards G League team under Jarrell Christian. Had a great experience there. It's where uh, I met my girlfriend. We've been together now over three and a half years. So uh, that's, that's great. And came back to Northern Arizona. Uh, again, I think uh, I left, I left there, um, you know, with uh, pretty, on pretty solid ground and was able to go back and contribute. And then that was 1920. That was the COVID year. And then uh, our season got cut short in March, just like everybody else. And uh, from there, I've just been, you know, kind of doing some other basketball related uh, things. Uh, I coached in Canada this past summer. I coached the Syrian national team back in November and just great learning experiences. But I've also been able to slow down and really put in perspective what basketball means in my life uh, compared to other uh, even bigger priorities. So uh, that, that's been a great learning experience for me personally. Yeah, I mean, we could we could do a full podcast into each and every one of those stops. I mean, there's so many things that we could take a deep dive into uh the Syrian national team Real, before we get into our the main kind of meat of our episode what was it like uh to to be in Syria and coach the national team there man it was great um you know no, number one obviously the biggest concern before going over there was uh the safety right and uh I had while I was over there I I felt secure and safe except for the time whenever I was the, my first time entering into the country uh, and then uh, upon leaving, because you're going through borders and checkpoints and all that, and you just never know. But um, I was well taken care of. Uh, the players, they responded to me. They're so grateful. Uh, you know, it's a rough country. They've been war-torn, and they're building it back up within the last few years. And so they were just extremely grateful. They worked hard. Um, they cared for one another. And, uh, you know, I had the backing of, of management. I thought they did a really good job with us. 
and supported us. Um, and I was able to run training camp and I was able to co be the head coach in our three friendly games leading into our games versus Kazakhstan. And um, you know, Syria basketball has, has a ways to go talent wise and continued improvement. Uh, we faced a team that had nine players playing in the BTB league um, in Europe, a high level league and Kazakhstan's really good. And, uh, but we lost both games by 10 points. Um, but that was so fun. I mean, Lastly, just being able to have a home game in Syria, that was the first time they had a, a true home national game in, I think, 15 years. It was, I mean, it was unbelievable, the atmosphere. So I loved it, uh, well taken care of, and um, it, was, it was very solid five weeks. Also visited Iran and uh, Kazakhstan while I was over there, too, so. Very cool. Very, very cool. Now, something that you're really passionate about is offensive spacing has a lot of coaches. I'm sure when they see some of the title, they're going to they're gonna perk up a little bit. Um, everybody knows that that's important. But why is that so important to you? It's it's important, I think, because that, that's where the game has been now in the recent you know, last five years, even eight years, is the priority of of getting to the corners of using a four-point line um, mentality of space and then you know whether it's a four out one in or a five out and being able to play off the ball uh, finding windows so the ball can see you is not enough that you see the ball but the ball has to see you and I think just having that proper spacing and making reads based on how the defense reacts to the ball is important um, and there's so much you can do. Uh, it meshes well with development with the game, the versatility of the players. It's enjoyable for them to work on. And, um, you know, it, it produces with quality spacing, it produces high efficiency shots. What's something that you've learned or, or pieces that you've taken from some of these other coaches that you now apply to the teams that you work with regarding improving their offensive spacing? Yeah, the, um, you know, I, I think initially it started with uh, my time in Northern Arizona the first year because we played five out and we had a great offensive team because we had a ton of skill. We had a great shooters. Um, I think we had five guys shooting over 40% from three. So that's why we went five out. And the emphasis on sprinting to the corners and having that spacing, uh, cutting, uh, appropriately. A lot of teams, uh, that, that's one thing that we talked a lot about was, you know, what are our triggers to cutting? And, you know, you don't want to cut or move just to do that. Because if you do that, it's going to get sloppy. And now, now the ball can't see you because you're not in sync with, with where the ball is in a way. You have to have a trigger to your cuts, I believe. And that, that's one thing that, that I learned a lot uh, from those, uh, from the rest of the coaches on that staff. Um, I think whenever I got to Washington and then back to Northern Arizona, we talked a lot about uh, playing with a four point line, playing off the catch. And, um, you know, really because it allows you one to run through the pass as you see. I mean, I was talking to a coach a few days ago about this. You know, you watch Utah, they're tremendous at it. You watch, um, I mean, you watch uh, Phoenix, even with Jay Crowder, you know, for example, and how he plays off the catch and running through the ball. Kawhi Leonard uh, is another one. 
Um, but then it allows you to easily step into your shot instead of hugging the line. And now your footwork is a little off. By, by just hugging that three-point line, uh, you don't, you're not getting a good one-two step into your shot to create that balance and rhythm that you need um, to really, I mean, a lot of guys, they struggle shooting off the catch because their shot prep isn't there. It's not correct. It's not uh, consistent every time. So being able to have those options as well as whenever you attack off the catch, it's hard for the defense to recover. Now you're getting to the rim and now it's, now you got to make a read. Are you, are we going up strong at the rim? Are we looking to kick it back out uh, for some other opportunities to attack? Um, you know, so that, I think those are some big areas that I've learned. And, you know, now it's not only five out, but playing four out one in, you know, now again, everybody has to read what you do. And um, that's where it gets a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. No, no doubt about it. A ton of great nuggets that you just brought up right there. Let's go back to, first of all, deep and wide, you're really playing into the corners. I love that. And then you mentioned triggers to cutting. Can you explain some of those triggers? Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, for example, a lot of teams call it the 45 cut or the wing cut slash cut uh, from the weak side wing. You know, when do you do that? When is it appropriate for you to cut? You don't want to cut just to cut because now that opp the opportunity to score isn't as good. Um, so a trigger that, that we installed was as soon as you cross the level of the screener. So um, it could be, you know, a deep side pick and roll, for example. Um, and it's five out spacing. You have a guy at the top. You have a guy in the at the free throw line extended on the wing. I think that's appropriate. And then you have deep corner. You come off that deep side pick and roll. And as soon as you cross the level of the screener, that is the trigger for that wing guy to cut. Now, a lot of coaches, they, they might say, well, what if he turns the corner and he's getting to the rim? Well, as the cutter, you have to have awareness that you're not just going to run into the guy. You might have to stop short. Okay. But the opportunity to cut is there at that time. So I think that's one trigger. Another trigger would be really uh, like a dribble handoff situation. Whenever, whenever the guy coming off of the dribble handoff, when he crosses the level of, of that guy, that's a great time to trigger because now everybody's keyed in on you as the handler. All right. Is he looking to turn and attack? He has the ball. So we have to limit his attack, the, the gaps. We have to be in on the gaps. Well, that's a great time to cut because now everybody's keyed in to the ball. So if you cut sooner, the defense, they're going to know and they're going to pick up on it. If you cut too late, now it messes up the rhythm of our offense and our blender opportunities, our drive kick pass uh, opportunities. Oh, you painted a great picture with with those examples. I absolutely love it. The timing of the cut is is everything. We don't want to cut just to cut. You mentioned the four point line and running through the ball. And I don't want coaches to think for our high school coaches to listen, oh, we, you know, we're, we're working on shooting, you know, really, really deep NBA threes for our high school kids. You're talking about something much more beyond that, much more applicable to basketball at every level. Can you talk about what you mean by players being deeper beyond the three-point line and running through the ball, running through the catch? Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, now there are guys in the NBA and, and even in college, you know, they're able to shoot consistently 
from that four-point line, which really pulls the defense out. They have to respect those guys. But when you're talking about your wing players and how athletic those guys are, I mean, if you have athletic wings or you have smart wings who can play off the catch and make those reads, uh, I think a four-point line is certainly uh, applicable to that. Um, you'll, you would see it if you were to walk into – numerous NBA practice facilities, I would imagine that you would see that. I mean, the ones that I've been in or seen pictures of, they have those. And it's, um, you know, certain teams, they call it, you know, four-point line or the launch pad. You know, we want to play on the launch pad. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, when we catch it, we're exploding. We're sprinting through that ball. And ideally, the, the teaching point is, you know, again, not only it allows you to create balance into your shot, not only does it allow you just to drive, you know, get ahead of steam to the rim, but the defense, they, they can't really recover. It, it's, it's hard to recover to that, especially if you're able to create an advantage initially with the ball. I mean, again, we'll, we'll take the same scenario, but maybe it's a, um, but maybe now it's a, a slot pick and roll or a wing pick and roll, not a deep side. And now you got both corners filled. You have your weak side wing. All right. So, uh, we come off that pick and roll and we get middle. Maybe they're in a, a uh, up to touch or, or drop. Uh, let's, say they're in, let's say they're in a drop and you have nail help. You have uh, your guy in the gap there to deter from the ball to continue getting into the paint. A lot of teams, they don't want paint. All right. But because that guy is at the nail, <clears throat> he, uh, he's now far off from his man. If you have proper four-point line spacing, and now whenever that ball is delivered, the guy on the wing, he's able to catch and go real quick. Another term is catch and go. And he's, he's able to get downhill. And now he has a read of, uh, I'm past my man. Now I have to read the low man. Maybe that's the guy in the weak side corner whose man is rotating in to help. Or maybe it's the, the uh, screener's defender and, and that guy just rolled to the rim. And now we have to make a read of him. Right. And so now everybody's just playing off of each other and it's a lot of fun. Um, so, I mean, some teams might want to get aggressive and help off that strong side corner. That's a tough pass for that wing guy to deliver, in my opinion. But, um, you know, and, and that's where player development, that's where action shots, um, you know, it, it really helps with the player development. So, Absolutely love it. What do you mean by action shots? I love this. Yeah, yeah, action shots. So um, it, it's it's shots based on uh, whatever action you have, and uh, action shots or blender shots. <clears throat> blender is a term that um, uh, we've used on some teams that I've been a part of, where it's uh, a drive kick pass. Mm -hmm. You know, it's maybe you have three guys. Uh, it's like three on zero, oh, all right. But every guy is getting a shot, so you're involved in an action. Maybe you have a nail drive and kick. A lot of teams do nail driving kicks. If, if you watch the NBA, um, you know, certain teams, late clock situations, you know, uh, eight seconds and under, they'll just simply drive the nail, draw that help. Drive kick, kick swing. It to the wing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they'll, they'll kick it to the wing, and now he's ready to shoot or he's going to drive it and get to the rim. Now it's like, all right, I'm, I'm getting to the paint. I'm either going to get up a layup attempt. I'm going to get fouled or I'm going to draw the defense and we're going to kick it out for a spray mm -hmm. three, right? So uh, but so you have that scenario where maybe you have the balls on the wing, you got a guy in that strong side corner, and then you got a weak side wing. So you drive the nail, 
kick it to that wing. He drives it, kicks corner, and then that corner guy, he has either a shot or maybe he has a, another one, a plus one, back to the initial ball handler for a shot. All right, so that's a driving kick. And now that, that's one shot. The wing guy who drove the paint in that initial blender, he empties back out to the corner. And now maybe you have a coach with another basketball tossing it to uh, the initial corner player who just threw the plus one. You have another drive and kick scenario. Drive and kick, either baseline drive, baseline drift, or he gets middle uh, towards the paint with, um, with his outside hand. And now he kicks it to the corner. After that kick, pops back above the three-point line for his shot. So everybody kind of gets a shot. And there's numerous actions, numerous spacing uh, concepts out of that where everybody can get a shot. And it's a lot of fun. It's next, it builds that next play mentality of, hey, I get off the ball, now I got to re-space. I get off the ball, uh, I got to re-space appropriately uh, based on where the, the defensive help is. So it's a lot of fun. No, I love this. And to our Coaches Edge members that are listening, you know, we have a video series in our membership called the Drive Kick Swing Series. And it has a handful of the actions that you just kind of painted a picture of right there that as you as you keep saying, it's a lot of fun, right? You're playing yeah. off, off of the ball, you're playing off of space and you're even without defenders, you're visualizing where the help is going to be, where the gap defender is going to be to make that next play, that read, to pull it, to drive it, uh, to swing the basketball. Absolutely love it. Um, you've, you've done a nice job of explaining some of the drills. Can you talk about some of the other ways that you, know, you talked about? You just went to the Syrian national team not that long ago. How do you go about implementing this? I, I want to call it even bigger than a style of play. It's a frame of mind. Right. It, it, this is this is a real big philosophy. How do you go about implementing that to a group of players where it's pretty new to them? Maybe they're used to playing more sets. Maybe they're used to a motion, but the motion is a little bit more uh, specific with the locations and the spots that they need to be. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the, the biggest draws uh, for me going over there was because of my experience and uh, the director, uh, the president of the Basketball Federation wanted to grow basketball in Syria. Uh, he played college ball here in the States back in the 80s. And, um, you know, and I was, I was like, that's great. I love it. So those guys were first, they were open to learning. They were highly coachable guys. Um, these spacing and, um, you know, driving, uh, you know, concepts or actions, that's something that we worked on every day. Those are aspects within our workouts that we did every day in practice, uh, whether it was three on O or four on O, or we would dry run a play. All right. Now the play breaks down uh, the play after the play. All right. So uh, we had, we had different options out of that, uh, whether it was out of flash game, whether it was uh, driving the nail or maybe we find an ISO or a mismatch or something, throw it in the post. Now we got to play off that, you know? So it, it's kind of coming up with those scenarios um, to work on every day because we had a long training camp. We had, I mean, I, I ran, I think 24 practices. So I made sure that that's something that we hit on every time. Uh, Cause I wanted that to be our identity. Um, and I think ultimately on the offensive side was, uh, I, I got this uh, from Coach Damian Cotter. He's now an assistant with Chicago Bulls. He was with us in Capital City. And he said all the time, 
we got to play with the pass. We got to play with the pass. Um, you know, another coach I admire, Brett Brown, uh, his term, his terminology was the pass is king. And I remember, I think it was 18 and 19, um, the Sixers, it was either Sixers or the Nuggets, one and two in the league. They were top in touches and passes. And I mean, they were super hard to guard. And they would play out the elbows and, and have spacing and cuts and guys just flying around. And it's it's hard to guard. And I, I've said the word fun. It's enjoyable because everybody feels like they're involved because we're making reads based off of the defense. And because of that, because it's not a stagnant thing or a set play, like what they've used to, what they've been used to running over there, um, it is something we had to do every day. But I think the guys appreciated it. and. Um, you know, you can also generate gains out of it three on three, four on four, where, um, you know, you you only use two thirds of, of the floor. And now we have to make quick reads within eight seconds. And no matter what happens, the, the other team of four is coming on. And now we have to react next play mentality and go, you know. Um, so those are a few of the ways that we kind of implemented that into Syria. And um, I think our guys. Uh, enjoyed it. And I think they got better and they were appreciative of it, but I think hopefully uh, it's something that they'll use going forward as well. I absolutely love it. The, the pass is King, the, the one more pass. I think of the year that the Raptors won it all with Kawhi Leonard and as phenomenal as he was, it was so much of the, the drive, the kick. And at the lower levels, a lot of times we see the drive, the kick, and then that player takes the shot, whether it's off the catch or it's off the dribble drive, but so much of what we saw with them was that drive, that kick, that kick, and then that next pass. Now that defense is contracted. Now it's starting to expand, but also rotate. Super, super tough to to guard. And and when teams are playing like that, it's extremely hard to stop. Which is why I wanted to ask you our next question: What do you think are some of the most difficult actions to stop? Before we get back to the episode, I want to thank you for listening to the Coach's Edge podcast. And if you find this episode beneficial, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. That goes a really long way as we continue to build the Coach's Edge. And most of all, share this episode out with someone else who you think also may find it beneficial. That's what the Coach's Edge is all about, trying to give you an edge, an advantage. Let's get better together. Back to the show. Man, uh, well, I think the the, the first one that pops up just because every team is running it because it is so hard to guard is, is uh, the Spain pick and roll. I think that's, that's really hard to guard uh, based on, <clears throat> and excuse me, uh, based on, you know, a lot of teams, they want to switch at the elbow. They want to switch that guard to guard at the elbow. Um, and then they're able to cover. That's a great base coverage, but there are times where you might need to trap that ball screen to blow up the Spain pick and roll or, or the, um, the effectiveness of it just to get a different look. Um, maybe you switch everything, all right? And I think that that's really hard to guard, especially with a guard who can get downhill, who's really good at setting up his defender initially and then coming off that first screen. Uh, because if you switch at the elbow, there's that guard has some comfort there in that mid-range area in between the elbow and the three-point line where he can kind of make a read and dance with the ball for a moment. So I think that's really hard to guard if you have a great ball handler. Uh, another one is is playing out of the elbows. Uh, flash game, for example, like uh, with 
guys who, if that's something that you rep every day, uh, I think you can get really good at it. And a lot of teams, they don't work on guarding off the ball a whole lot. They don't. Uh, you know, it, it's something we always worry about our pick and roll coverage. And, you know, um, you know, we'll work on post defense some. We'll work on our basic shell rotations off of driving kicks. But how about playing off the elbows with dribble handoffs and down screens and maybe some flares? Uh, those, those scenarios are, are all very hard to guard. Um, and uh, I think those are two of the biggest ones that I've seen. And I really kind of get into, you know, the play after the play, um, just those actions that are random and that you throw out. Another one, I mean, I think uh, one team, if, if, uh, if you watch uh, the NBA, uh, one team that does it great is Charlotte, where they, uh, they slip out of screens. Like, that's one of the things they do in uh, late clock scenarios, play after play, where they slip out guard to guard. Yeah, that's super hard to guard, especially if you have guys who can shoot or who can attack right off that catch. Um, you know, kind of what we talked about earlier. Uh, that's super hard to guard. So, man, I mean, it's, it's always fun to watch that and implement it within your own team. Um, but yeah, those three things I think are really good. Those are, those are fantastic. And I love, I love all those you mentioned playing out of the elbows. Yeah. That's something that I wish from the offensive side that, a lot of our high school coaches probably practice more because there's so many defenses, especially a ton of zone at the high school level uh, in certain regions that if, if you can get the basketball there and get somebody who's comfortable in that spot and then make some decisions in place, they can be extremely effective because I see that elbow area open a lot. And uh, one other one that comes to mind is flooding, flooding aside, flooding an area. See Steph Curry does this so, so well, whether he's actually the initiator and, and maybe he kicks it to the corner or someone else does. And if that basketball is in the corner, he's cutting through the baseline, following it to the corner. You see that player in the corner might take a couple dribbles up to the middle or to the elbow and then just pitch it right behind him. He's so good at continuing to move without the basketball, going back to the ball, uh, especially if you're an elite shooter or something that I love, I love to watch players that that do that. And yeah. I think, yeah, that, that's, that, that's a lot of fun. Like, uh, uh, I heard Nick Nurse, he said this on a recent podcast was like in preparation for their uh, NBA finals run, you know, you got to treat a guy like him or even a guy like uh, JJ Redick, who they saw in the, you know, versus the Sixers was you got to treat it like you're playing tag, you know, <laughs> you got to, you got to stay with him. Like there, there's nothing you can do, but it's like, you're playing tag. You got to get back attached. You got to mm -hmm. touch him. So hundred uh, percent, it's a fun analogy. You mentioned uh, multiple attacks uh, a little bit as far as the play after the play as well. Uh, describe what you mean by that and how it can be effective for coaches. Yes, uh, multiple attacks. I think it's one area that, um, you know, a lot of coaches, I think coaches in general, um, we, uh, we like structure. We like to know what to expect. Um, we we want to trust that, that everything that we do in practice uh, will translate to a game. But sometimes that randomness is huge and you have to be willing to let the players play during the games. I mean, we play or we coach, coaches coach in practice, players play in the games. And you have to implement some of that randomness that will happen in a game, especially when your game plan isn't working. You know, sometimes you have to move on and say, we have to adjust. And now it's, 
it's doing that, being able to implement that in practice, I think is huge. So, um, you know, that multiple attack mentality is really comes into play, for example, like, like in your action shots or in your, when you're running your plays five on O. Uh, for example, you know, we've all been to a lot of practices, high school, college, or pro, and, you know, teams go 5 on 0 a lot. And they'll run the play or they'll just, you know, kind of casually go through the play and, you know, they'll throw it to the guy who's supposed to get it and then he shoots and then the play's over. Make or miss, the play's over. And it's like, no, we all know where the shot's supposed to go, but whenever the other team does too. So, Let's kick it to a guy who is spaced in a you know a different location, and now we have to make another read. We have to make another play, and that's kind of the multiple attack. You have your initial attack from whatever the play is, and then the defense—they're smart, they're coached, they're well coached, and uh, they've seen film. So now it's all right. That play breaks down. What are we getting to next? Right? Like what? What is that plan? Maybe in high school it's different because of lack of a shot clock, but. Uh, I know for for us in, in college and in pro, wherever that is, is you have to build that into your practices, into your coaching repertoires as you go about your season is implementing that multiple attack mentality. And, um, you know, a uh, couple of things we talked about earlier uh, in the podcast, you know, about um, everybody getting a shot within those actions, that next play mentality. Uh, you kick it, you re-space, you, you're not just standing and watching, waiting for a guy to shoot. I think that's what we see a lot in some of those 5 on 0 dry runs. But uh, no, nah, man, I think we we can really add value to our players and, um, you know, by reinforcing that uh, multiple attack next play mentality within our drills and within our, our uh, when we're out there 5 on 0 or, you know, however. So. Oh, absolutely. I love that. Um, and you're engaging the athlete mentally, right? It's so easy to go through those five on O actions and you're kind of walking through it. You got it memorized to be able to throw in that extra look, keeping those players actively engaged is, is a huge part of their growth and, and their development and ultimately making our team a heck of a lot better. Um, Coach, you've been truly around the world coaching the game. You've learned from coaches everywhere. Is there like a unique drill that a coach has done where you're like, man, I am definitely stealing that one. There's so many good nuggets in there. Man, um, I think <clears throat> I think one drill that I really liked, and I kind of played with it a little bit, and it didn't quite work as well, but that's okay. Sometimes you got to work in the mud and uh, to try to create something, make it a little bit better. But one drill was, um, uh, we called it the disadvantage drill in uh, my town in Capital City, where it was, you can do it four on four, with just, uh, you know, however, however the spacing is. Let, let's say, let's say it's even five on five. And um, you have, uh, say you have four out, one in spacing, the guy who's in is in the weak side dunker. And you, uh, again, you can do this drill out of any spacing you want, any action you want, but there's a coach up top behind the offensive player with the ball. And he can hold out his hand either side of wherever that player is. So he's standing right behind, right behind the player, the offensive player with the ball. His man is right in front of him. And he holds out his left hand. That player, the defensive player, has to come and slap the coach's hand, which now triggers 
the offensive player to drive. And now we're in that scramble and help scenario, right? And um, I think that's very useful uh, because you can work on your sets, you can work on different, you know, alignments within that one drill. But now we're getting into that disadvantage and that defensive scramble. And, you know, it also allows you to maybe reinforce some scrambling, um, uh, some defensive scrambling concepts or some um, decision-making as well within that. So I think that's one because it's so versatile. That's the first one that pops in my mind. I love that because, as you mentioned, there's so many things that you can reinforce. I mean, you could really make that a defensive emphasized drill or an offensive focused drill, depending on what you're trying to get out of it. Uh, absolutely love it. Um, Coach, you mentioned something in your email to me. Coaches can see the game. The players feel the game. I absolutely love that statement. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. And. You know, I, uh, I've had to that, – that's something I've learned in my career because I only played in, in high school. And, you know, dealing with um, the college players, you know, they're, they're so much better than me, and, and they're the ones out there playing. And I think that when – as a coach, when you understand that, uh, it allows you to understand that mistakes are going to happen, but that with the right intention, those players – who they're able to feel the game and they're able to understand things that I can't understand. And, and you have to, you have to build trust with your players. They have to trust you that they can be open and be vulnerable with you as they're, as y'all have this dialogue during games or during practices about this is what, this is what I'm seeing as a coach, but what are you feeling out there? Does this make sense? Does what I'm seeing make sense or, or is there something else going on? And then from there, now we can kind of get get to a uh, get to an answer, get to a conclusion as to what we're talking about. Um, but I've had to do that. Uh, that's one area where I've I've been humbled as a coach uh, because I mean even at the G League level, I'm I'm with guys who uh, I mean they're they're great players, and I mean I have to understand these guys are really good and they know more about the game than I do. I mean they watch they watch film too. They understand it. So. Um, you know, being open. And it's more of a, you know, in that regard, to finish it off, uh, that relationship between a player and coach, it's a marriage. You know, it, it's a dual, you know, we, we each have equal responsibilities within this. And so we have to work together. Love it. Uh, coach, we finish up the podcast. Who's somebody who's really made a positive impact in your coaching career? Too many. Too many guys to name, uh, but one guy who I worked for three years with, well, uh, two guys on that um, staff was uh, Bill Peterson, again, uh, assistant coach at Baylor. He laid the foundation for me as a coach, and uh, I, I have all the respect in the world for him. I love him. He, uh, we still keep in touch. Uh, he's a man of faith, and, and I kind of follow his example in that way. Um, another guy who I worked two years with, under Coach P is uh, Nate Babcock. He's he's uh, now an assistant with the Grand Rapids Gold. He's been in with two NBA teams uh, as well, and um, he's a guy. My first couple, my first year in the G League, um, you know, we worked together, and you know, I was doing everything I could. I was that first year young guy coming in, and you know, just being available and working my tail off. And Nate's like, you know, he comes from a basketball family uh, who's been around, and he's like. Like, man, sometimes you just need to 
chill out, go read a book and get away from basketball and allow that emptying that, that time away to allow you to get creative, you know, and rejuvenate you. And um, that's something he was great at. And I learned so much of that from him. Um, I mean, there, there are guys who, who I love and from everywhere I've been, but it, it's the ones who, who really go that extra mile and, you know, who really, um, who help you don't tell you everything that you want to hear. Sometimes it's that tough love and it's that recognition of like, Tanner, you, you have to improve in this area. Um, you know, I think one guy who really did that and I have all, all the respect is uh, Damien Cotter. <clears throat> he, uh, he coached in Australia for a number of years. He's from Australia and he, he's been a head coach in the G league as well. And, you know, he was just straight up with some of the things that I needed to correct and get better at as a coach. And, and I, I respect that because he didn't sugarcoat it. And I, I knew if I applied that, which I did, I got better. I mean, he made me better because he told me the truth and that was awesome. So I think those are three guys. Uh, there's, you know, tens and tens of other guys, but you know, those, those are just three that really stood out to me. Success doesn't happen alone. And it's cool to acknowledge uh, those people that have made a positive impact on your life uh, as well as many more that we don't have the, the time to mention coach. Um, last question, chain net or nylon net. Man, uh, that's that's tough. I like the there's pluses and minuses with both. I like the nylon net because uh, that consistent sound. There's there's in my opinion. There's not a better sound than a than a good swish from a nylon net. But uh, there's something about the uh, ruggedness, the, the ruggedness of a chain net. Um, you know, really takes you back to you know kind of some hard work mm -hmm. and. Uh, that that's that's nice too. I think I played more on, on nylon nets. I think it's the best sound in the world. I got to go with nylon. Got it. Got it. Appreciate it, Coach. This has been uh, a ton of fun. Uh, is there anywhere that uh, any of our coaches that are listening that they could find you or, or reach out to you? Yeah, I would. I'd love that. Feel free to reach out to me anyway. Um, uh, my email uh, for one is p as in Paul, t as in Tom. Massey, M-A-S-S-E-Y, 2-1 at gmail.com. And another one is on Twitter, uh, T-Mass, T-M-A-S-S-1-0. That's uh, my Twitter. Perfect. Coach, make sure you can reach out to, to Coach on uh, Twitter, give him a follow, and, and see what he's up to. Who knows what country or what place he'll be coaching in coaching in next. Uh, Coach, this was awesome. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, I'm sure our coaches learned a lot. Coaches rewind listen back to some of the stuff coaches was talking about as far as spacing running through the ball the four-point line different triggers uh multiple actions this was all great stuff in, in this interview coach you're invited back anytime and uh to all of our coaches out there there's a lot of things you could be doing you chose to spend some time to listen to the coach's edge podcast we certainly appreciate that keep up the great work uh coaching whatever age group and whatever line that, that you are in and uh, know that you know nobody gets better alone we all get better together so thank you for listening to coach's edge and as always get after today